Wednesday night, and after I got through, I felt like a guy at the edge of the ocean with a teacup trying to dip up the ocean. But I'm going to go back with my teacup tonight, and I'm going to try again. But I want you to turn to the 23rd Psalms. I began to look at this particular portion of Scripture a while back, and it... Um, it began to speak to me in ways that I, I, it has not spoken to me before. And what I saw was a way of thinking or looking at God. And when you begin to read the 23rd Psalm from that perspective and you understand that that's where the writer was coming from, it was an understanding, it was a way that he looked at God it changes the way you live for God. And if you'll listen to me and maybe say an amen every once in a while or at least nod your head, don't nod it going to sleep, but uh, I hope, I, I think I might give somebody something tonight. But I want to read, I want you to read it with me. Most of you can probably quote it, but the 23rd Psalm, beginning with verse 1 down through verse 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a powerful, powerful promise from the Word of God. I talked to you last week about the first statements of the psalm, uh, establishing a principle, a groundwork upon which all of the other words have meaning. And that is that the Lord is my shepherd. If there is no relationship with Him, then there are no promises to enjoy of His. And so it begins at that relationship point. And knowing God is more than knowing about God. It's more than knowing that there is a God. It is coming into a relationship through the new birth experience. The word know in the uh, Old Testament referred back all the way to the Garden of Eden where the Bible said that Adam knew Eve and she bare a son. There was an intimacy in that knowledge and that relationship. And so when we talk about knowing the Lord, we're not talking about brain matter working and thinking. We're talking about humbling ourselves at His Word and obeying His Word 
and knowing him, coming into a relationship with him in that capacity. And all of you, I would say, if not most all of you, I guess everybody here knows that born again experience. But tonight, I want to go back there and I want us to move forward. When we begin to look at the uh, the 23rd Psalm, what I would call the all too familiar Psalm, it is important that we, we carefully observe what is spoken here in these verses. I, I like to think of it as a stroll rather than a walk. Uh, kind of like venturing into the Sistine Chapel or visiting Notre Dame or perhaps going into the Louvre. Speed walking is not appropriate for such a place. If you're going to go to the National Museums in Washington, D.C., if you're going to go to the Smithsonian Institute, even though it is as massive as it is and you feel like you got to do it in a hurry. The truth is, if you really want to enjoy what's in there, you don't speed walk through the Smithsonian. You take time to go in every room and look at those things. And if it takes two days or three days, if you really want to enjoy it, you've got to take the time to go through it. And so it is with the Word of God. So much of our connection with the word of God is on that speed dial kind of uh, of relationship we only dial it up when we're in trouble we only dial it up when we need an answer and if we don't find it right now or in the snap of a finger we close it and we walk away and say it doesn't work but you've got to go back and you've got to read it and you've got to read it again and you've got to let it up, be absorbed into your body. There was a, and I may have referred to this last week, but a pastor one time was dealing with a man who, uh, who, who had extreme problems. He was a multimillionaire. He had successfully built a business and was very well thought of in the community, but his personal life was in a wreck. He couldn't sleep at night. He was always, uh, he had all kind of problem, physical problems, health problems. And so he came, he was told, you need to go see this pastor. And so he came in and sat down and began to tell his problems. And while he was talking to him, he took out a piece of paper and he wrote out a prescription for this man. And the prescription was, I want you to go home and for the next seven days, I want you to read the 23rd Psalm five times a day. He said, when you read it, I want you to read it when you first get up in the morning. And then I want you to read it after breakfast. I want you to read it after lunch. I want you to read it after supper. And I want you to read it when you get ready to go to bed at night. And he said, I don't want you just to rush through it. I want you to read it slowly and let those words be absorbed into your heart and life. And he said, uh, the, the guy said, well, I know the 23rd Psalm. I, I can, he said, no. He said, I, I'm not talking about knowing it by memory. I'm not talking about quoting it. He said, if a doctor were to have given you a prescription for medication and said you had to take this medication three times a day, you wouldn't go home and say, I have done the will of the doctor by taking all three of those medications at one time. 
He said you would take them in the increments that they were prescribed. And he said, if you will do what I am prescribing in seven days, you will see a marked difference in your life. And sure enough, the man went home and for seven days, five times a day, he read carefully over the 23rd Psalm. And when he came to the end of the seventh day, his entire life had been turned around and the problem that he was struggling, the physical problem, the sleeplessness was gone because this psalm is that powerful. Amen. And so we want to carefully and we want to observe it. Not only is this psalm part of the most familiar song in Scripture, but it is actually one of the most famous words in all of the literature of the world, of all the poems that have been born in the passionate heart of a man's human experience, this is perhaps the best known and most beloved, and it is quoted by more people than any other passage in the Scripture. But the sad reality is so few really know its message. It's read at funerals, sometimes even read at weddings. It's read when we are depressed, but it is read but not understood. All of us have come to this particular song at different junctures in our life. If I were to ask you, when was the first time that you heard the 23rd Psalm? Some of you would go back all the way to your childhood, a Sunday school class, where a Sunday school teacher recited those words. Or perhaps some of you would go further back than that, sitting on the lap of a mother and hearing her recite those words. Perhaps, if not the case there, maybe you discovered it somewhere later in life under the stress of a heavy burden or of the challenges of life that had come to you. But whether you found it as a child or you're just now discovering the power of the 23rd Psalm, it's good to know that the Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. I said it's good to know that the Lord is my shepherd. Now I'm not counting on your interest in what I have to say because of its novelty tonight. This is not a strange text to any of us. I am going to take you back to an old spring, to an old well, but a well that still runs pure and the water still refreshes. And I want to call on its timeless message. And when I say timeless, I mean I don't care if you lived in biblical days or western United States or you live in the 21st or you think you're living in the 22nd century. The 23rd Psalm is a timeless message for wherever you are, wherever you live, whatever our nationality, whatever our cultural standing, God's Word is relevant to me right now. And there is housed in this Psalm a bulwark of strength, old truths that can present new comfort, and old affirmations that can become a present enablement to our life. For some of you, there may be acquainted with this psalm, some particular memory of yesterday. For another, the quiet voice of a stilled loved one's voice is heard in your mind as those words are spoken 
in their rhythmic strains. If this song could be written, or if, or perhaps I should say it this way, if this song could write its own biography, there is no sea it has not crossed. There is no ocean that it has not spanned. There is no land on the face of the earth that it has not visited. And there is no road that it has not traveled. Friend, if there is a word that has been that many places and helped that many people... I would be a fool to read over it in a hurried fashion and move on to something else. I need to get hold of it. Beggars and kings, rich and poor, children and silver-haired pilgrims have all rejoiced in its beautiful words and its great promises. Mothers and sick folks, storm-tossed souls have sung its words in the face of their most difficult troubles. And a sin-sick soul somewhere has clung to that promise as their very last hope. Dying saints have used this psalm as a pillow on which to lay their head and go to sleep for a season because the Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. 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 There is something about this song that when it is sung or when it is read, it touches something within the soul of man. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Listen to me, folks. There is no problem that this psalm has not faced. There is no problem that this song has not faced. There is no problem that this song has not faced. There is no loss that this song has not encountered. There is no suffering that this song has not witnessed. There is no hurt that this song has not heard of. And there is no song that that there is no mystery that this psalm has not seen. So don't let your particular problem make you think that this is not for me. I'm telling you, it's crossed every ocean. It's gone throughout every land. It's walked down every back road of worlds. And in this world tonight, there's not a problem we face. There's not a hurt that we're going through. There's not one thing we've lost. And there's not one mystery of life that we encounter that the 23rd Psalm has not already met. It's already addressed. And there's an answer within it for what I'm going through right now. Hallelujah. The Lord is my shepherd. There are no doubt the words of an old man, not a young man. There was an old man writing the 23rd Psalm. A man who... As he sat down looking out over his kingdom, looking out over the blessings of God and all the richness and vastness of what God had provided, memory took hold of his hand and began to take him back, back down the lanes of life. And all of a sudden, the silver hair is replaced by the golden locks of youth. And this man who is now king over Israel 
now again is back in that land of his youth. And he feels in his hand the staff that he felt while he was a mere lad. And overhead is the bright blue sky, cloudless sky of the Syrian world that he had grown up in. And there are the familiar sounds and the familiar smell of the flock. And as he sat there looking out and his mind taking him back, he suddenly realizes, this is my life. This is my life. This is where I am. This is why I am where I am. Because I too have a shepherd. I have somebody watching out for me. I am here. I am where I am because somebody has been leading me. I am where I am because somebody has been providing for me. I am where I am because somebody has blessed me. And the psalmist realized. And that's when those words begin to flow out. All of the promises. When he realized what that shepherd had been. That's exactly what God has been to me. He has been my shepherd. Amen. Amen. And I believe this is what he realized that day. Number one. As a shepherd. He realized that the sheep are his. The sheep are his. And because they are his, he leads them into green pastures. Now, he is not going to lead another sheep. He is not going to call for another flock. He is going to call for his sheep. He is going to call to those that he owns and those that are his possession. Not only that, But he is going because they are his. Because they belong to him. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to satisfy their hunger. I'm going to lead them into places where they can eat and be nourished. They're going to lie down and they're going to feel secure because they are fed and they are well nourished. I have noticed in my life, and especially since our grandbaby has come along, I have noticed that we are usually restless when we become hungry. When Callie really gets hungry, she gets, she, she has a way of letting us know that there's something wrong. And I've noticed other pe- people say, there's a, grumbling in my stomach there's there's a no there's a reminder so when we get hungry we get restless and god knows that about his people that when people are hungry they are restless and so he brings us into places where we can find food and substance and he brings us to those places where we can eat and be nourished and where we can lie down and not be afraid where we can come and feel secure cure for the shepherd his day began about 4 30 in the morning when he called them out and he led them out of the fold and took them to the field by 10 30 in the morning the sun was up and it was hot and there he realized these sheep they've been eating all morning and so now he brings them to a place where they can eat they don't need to drink because if they drink now it will make them sick 
They have to sit down. They have to rest for a moment. They have to allow that food to be nurtured into their system. They have to chew their could. They have to let the food be digest. And the shepherd knows that. So he brings them to a place in their life. He brings them to a point in their journey where they feel secure enough, where they feel safe enough that they can sit down, they can lay down in the grass, and they can allow the food that they have eaten to be absorbed into their system. Do you realize sometimes that when you feel like you're on your back, that maybe God might have orchestrated that so that you would look up? Maybe the reason God, the Bible said He made them lie down. I know enough about humanity to know that you're not going to tell some people what to do. And I've pastored long enough to know that I'm not going to tell some people what to do. That's why as an under-shepherd, I've tried to lead you and not force you. I've tried to obey the Word of God and bring you to a place where you feel secure enough and comfortable enough that you can get down, you can rest, and you can find nourishment. But sometimes God puts us down. Sometimes He has to force us down so that we will find time to rest and we will find time to look up and realize that the Lord's hand is upon us not every trouble that happens to you is of the devil not every problem you're going through is of the devil God's hand is on your life right now and God is orchestrating your journey and you may be down right now because God said it's time for you to rest it's time for you to get down where you can see me better When a sheep is feeding, the only place its head is is in the grass. And when he stays like that, he can get into a lot of trouble. He can wander away. He can get lost. He can even begin eating things that are poisonous to his system. And so the shepherd has to make him stop. He has to make him slow down. What happened to Saul as he journeyed down the road of Damascus? The Bible said a great light from heaven shone and knocked him off of his horse or whatever he was traveling on and put him down on the ground. And when Saul hit the ground, all of a sudden there was a revelation that came. Oh, and he realized the Lord. Who art thou, Lord? Sometimes we need to be knocked down so that we can see him. But not only does this green pasture give them that, but he gives them rest. And rest does not mean sleep. It does not mean a cessation from labor. Rest speaks of a cessation of struggle or a cessation of strife or the end of conflict. And the shepherd's responsibility was to bring those sheep to a place in their life where they were not living in conflict all of the time. And they were not living in struggles all of the time. And they were not living in strife all of the time. He brought them. We all know that life is filled with disturbances. On the job, in the home, in marriage, with friends, There are many disturbing factors in life. There are many things that can stir up unrest and cause you trouble. There are many, many things that cause discontent. There are many things that cause strife. There are many things that cause conflict. 
There are many things that cause fighting and turmoil and instability and trouble. It is the devil's mission to do something that will so disrupt our lives that we will be in turmoil and we will not know the peace of God or we will not know the rest that God wants us to enjoy. You know what I have learned in my few years of dealing with people? That disturbed people disturb people. Jesus is on a boat with his disciples headed across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is in the front of the boat asleep on purpose. The Bible said he went to that part to go to sleep. And a storm comes up and the disciples get all agitated and bent. And here these are seasoned seamen and fishermen. And they should know how to roll with the punches. But they're just completely blown out of the water. Pardon the pun. They don't even know how to handle the problem. Their life is in turmoil. They're in a tizzy. They're turned upside down. And so what is the first thing they do? They try to find somebody that's got peace and trouble them. Am I telling you the truth tonight? Disturbed people disturb people. But if you can ever get to know what I'm talking about tonight, that the Lord is my shepherd. He, the good shepherd, is the one that will quieten down the disturbances of life. You know why people are disturbed is because they're not spending enough time with their shepherd. And I don't mean me. I mean the good shepherd. But some of them aren't spending enough time with this shepherd either. And people that don't spend enough time with the shepherd are going to be disturbed and troubled and they're going to disturb as many people as they can. And they're going to cause as much trouble as they can. What we need to do is get back to the feet of our Savior. We need to get back to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you promised. You promised that if I would give my life to you, you would take care of me. You are the one responsible to help me deal with these disturbances. Amen. There are some people whose life is always in an uproar. But can you understand me tonight? That's not how God wants you to live or me to live. He doesn't want me to live where I'm always struggling. I've always got a problem. I'm always distressed. I know some people that go from problem to problem. They just live from problem to problem. That's the only way they know how to exist. God, that's not the will of God for us to live like that. Amen. God said, I can take care of you. He said, my peace, I leave you. Not as the world Leaves are not as the world gives, but my peace, my peace I give unto you. Peace that can lay its head down in the middle of a storm and sleep on. Peace that can come to a, the heart of Simon Peter locked away in a jail, knowing that James has just been beheaded and he's coming up for Monday. And the angel had to wake him up because he was asleep before he could even get him out of prison. How do you know? That he was asleep. Well, the Bible said he had to wake him up. How can a man sleep when he knows he's going to die tomorrow? The reason he could go to sleep is because he knew he wasn't going to die tomorrow. 
Because a few months or a few weeks ago, while he was with the Lord and the Lord was talking to him about his life, he said, one of these days you're going to be an old man and somebody's going to be leading you around. And so Simon just tucked that away in his heart. Didn't know when he was going to need it. Didn't know what kind of storm was going to have to bring it out. But here he is laying in a prison cell. And the Herod said, your head's next. And he said, oh no, you don't know what you're talking about. God gave me a promise. It's not my time yet. Do you know what some of you need to wake up and realize? It's not your time. You're not going to die. You're not going to be destroyed. And you're not going to be defeated. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Not only does he do that because they are his. But he knows all those sheep by name. He knows all those sheep by name. He knows them because he bought them. He knows them because he purchased them. He knows them because he invested in them and they are his. Psalms 100. I love the Psalms, uh, uh, but I love the 100th Psalm. The 100th Psalm says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And it talks about knowing that the Lord... He is our God and we are His people. And this is a statement that he makes in verse number 2 of Psalm 100. We are His people and we are the sheep of His pasture. That's why I can stand here tonight and tell you that everything's going to be alright because the devil is not in control. And carnal people are not in control. And backslidden people are not in control. God is in control of my life. And I can stand there because I am His. And He knows my name. I said He knows my name. They were not a nameless multitude. They had value. You don't name something that you don't value. Even if it's a clunker of a car. You don't name your socks. You don't name your shoes. You name things that have value to you. And according to every, every scholar, every history book I've ever written, all of them confirm that all of the sheep had names. And they called them by their names and they responded to those names. God knows me he knows me he knows my name he knows where i live and listen to me folks this is what i got excited about today even if i have a bad name even if my name has attached with it failure and 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 dysfunction and all kind of other sin he has given me an opportunity to take on his name what better deal could you ask for than to carry His name? We're not vagabonds. We're not wanderers of the wild. We're not wild stallions. We're His people. They are not just sheep. They are His sheep. They are His sheep. Praise God. It's good to know that somebody has laid claim to me. Woo! Hallelujah. The Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. 
The Lord is my shepherd. The third thing that I believe David was reflecting on was that he knows their peculiarities. And this is what he said. He leads me beside still waters. The Hebrew says he leads me beside stilled waters. Past tense. Stilled waters. You see, sheep are naturally afraid of running, rushing, noisy water. And they have a reason to be. Moving water is a terror to them because their coats are so heavy that if somehow they were to stumble or they were to be caught by the current and swept in, there is something internally in that sheep that knows it could not survive, it would drown. And so it stays away. It will not rest. It will not be comforted when there is a noisy brook or creek. And so if they were in an area where that was the case, they tell me that the shepherd would go out ahead of the sheep and they would take stones and they would dam up that creek so that it would bring that water down to a calm place where those sheep would feel safe enough to come and drink water and not be afraid. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God knows my fears. When He is my shepherd, He knows my fears. He knows what I'm afraid of. He knows what causes me to worry. And the Bible said He is my shepherd. And because He knows that, He's going to make sure that He creates an atmosphere where I do not have to worry or be afraid of what might happen to me. God knows my limitations and He knows my weaknesses and the shepherd does not mock his sheep because of their weakness. He doesn't mock them because they are afraid of running water. He just knows to provide them an atmosphere where that is not the case. He doesn't condemn them because of their limitation. He does not force them you know, it doesn't take a lot to be a mean preacher. All you got to do is just have a little wind and slam your fist down a few harder times, more times than I do. It doesn't take much to be a hard person. But it takes a whole lot different of a man to be able to understand that person that you're dealing with and understand their nature and understand their weaknesses and make room for their weaknesses. That's why when you read the New Testament over and 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 over again, Paul admonished the church, forgive, forgive, bear with one another, bear each other's burdens, understand one another, know each other, because that is what you are supposed to do. And the Lord knew that they were weak and so He made room for them. Instead of, of, of rebuking them, He leads them by still waters. He leads them beside stilled waters. And He brings them peace. He understands the load that you're carrying. He understands the load that was on the shoulders of those sheep. And He knows where the places of nourishment and refreshment are. Trouble comes to every life. The rushing current sweep us away and the tide comes to overwhelm us. 
And my shepherd goes ahead and he dams up the water so that I can drink in peace. So that I don't have to be afraid. He doesn't make fun of me because I'm weak. He doesn't rebuke me because I'm limited. He doesn't look at me in my failure and say, what a, what a pathetic person you are. He just provides a way. God never demands what I am beyond the strength or the ability to do. He knows, this is what amazes me, He knows their unique propensities. He not only knows their nature, that they're afraid, but He knows their propensities. He knows which one of them have a tendency to wander away. He knows which one of them has been wounded. He sees the ear of one that's scarred and he remembers that that's the one I had to take out of the mouth of the lion. It just reminds him and it reminds those sheep that's what God's willing to do for us. That's how far God's willing to go. You hear me tonight. There is no devil in hell or out of hell that can stop the hand of God reaching to where I am, pulling me out of the mouth of the lion, restoring my soul and putting me back in the fold. Don't you ever believe a lie from hell that once you fallen you're just a fallen person when you come in to know the shepherd he said I'll do whatever I've got to do I'll go as far as I have to go to save you I'll repair that ear I'll put those arms back I'll put those limbs back I'll put you back in my fold hallelujah praise God praise God he knows my propensity he knows my weaknesses he knows the one who wobbles as he walks and he remembers that that's the one that strayed and so after so many times of straying the only way he could remedy that was to take that staff and crack that front leg and break it and then he would take it and he would bind up that leg and that leg would be held in a cast and as a result of that that sheep would stay closer to him than any other sheep in the herd. Any other sheep in the fold, they would stay near. He would hobble, but he hobbles so he could help him. Sometimes God has to do that to us. Sometimes we're so stubborn and rebellious, and sometimes we're so hard-headed that God just has to take us down a notch. He has to break a leg and then mend it, but he does it because he is my shepherd. Hallelujah. More than one night he had spent in the wild searching for that lost sheep. Aren't you glad he searches for the lost sheep? Anybody here never been lost? Some of us have been lost so many times we don't even know how to remember. We've lost count. But oh, my friend, listen to me. It is so good to know that there is one who loves me. He loves me enough that he will search throughout the night to find me. There's good to know that there is one who seeks after me. There is one. It, it's good to know there's one who provided for me. There's, it's good to know there's one who has comforted me. He has guided me. He has protected me. He has led me. He has lifted me. He has kept me. He has put his hand upon me. And he has put his name upon my life. Oh, my friend, how did I make it? I made it because of the shepherd. 
How did I survive? I survived because of my shepherd. How did I get through it all? I got through it all because I had a shepherd leading me and guiding me and directing me and providing for me. How did David get, become what he became? He became it because God had his hand on him. Praise God. What a discovery. What an incredible wealth of strength and encouragement and joy and peace come from knowing the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. I'm sure that each of you desire to face the future with confidence and hope. You want to handle the stress of your day with courage. And you want to be strong when everything around you is falling apart. And if I could help anybody here tonight toward that achievement, I would point you to the 23rd Psalm. And I would tell you to draw strength from every promise that's recorded there. Because those promises work today. Yesterday evening I had some things pressing deeply upon my spirit. And I had been prayer well, I got here at the church at 6 o'clock yesterday morning for prayer meeting. Prayed about some things and just the heaviness of uh, certain issues and problems weighing on me. As the day went on, that weight become heavier and heavier and heavier. And I had to leave the house about 8 o'clock or 8.15 to come back up to the church. And when I got in my truck, my heart was so heavy, I just started praying. And I don't mean now lay me down to sleep. I started praying as desperately as I know how to pray. And I talked to God in some ways I probably, I, I had to apologize to Him later. I, I said, God, I, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Not only am I sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I've got to have some answers. You've got to stop some stuff right now. You've got to put an end. I don't mean next week, next month, next year, sometime. I mean now. God's got to silence the voice. God's got to shut the mouths of lions. God, you, and I'm telling you, I drove all the way to the church. I spent some time here. I got back in my truck and drove all the way back home. And on the way home, I said, God, I'm saying it again. I don't need it tomorrow. I don't need it next week. I don't need it next month. I need it now. I need an answer tonight. I got out of my truck. I walked in the front door and my wife was on the phone. She said, you need to pick up the other end. And I picked up the under, other end and I heard the trembling voice of a person who said, Brother Hughes, a little while ago, we were together and we felt a burden to pray for you. And so we joined together and we started praying. And we prayed for a good season. Not just a passing prayer, but for a good season we prayed. And I just called to tell you, that everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. Folks, I cannot tell you what that did in my spirit. I laid my head down on my pillow at 11.30 last night, and I did not wake up until 7.30 this morning. And I'm telling you on this Bible tonight, I cannot remember in the last however long 
when I have slept through the night without getting up three to four times a night. But last night, armed with a promise that he was my shepherd, I laid my head down on a pillow and I went to sleep and I had that rest. It still works, folks. He is my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why wouldn't anybody want him to be their shepherd? Why wouldn't anybody want to humble themselves to somebody like that and say, lead me, Lord. Lead me, Lord. Why would anybody want to rebel against somebody that loving and kind and tender and caring and has your future in mind? Why would anybody want to say, I'm not interested in that? (laughs) Oh, if you don't already know it, he is a good shepherd. You need to say with doubting Thomas, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Use that personal pronoun more in your spiritual life. My God, my God, my God, my King, my Savior, my Prince of Peace, my soon coming King, my good shepherd come on church let's quit talking about him and let's start talking to him you know it's amazing how when how many people become religious when they find out i'm a preacher and i'm talking about people that two seconds before they found out i was a preacher had just let out with a string of four letter words and cussing everything you can imagine and as soon as they find out i'm a preacher they oh praise the lord And they start waxing eloquent, talking about the Lord. But they don't know Him. They don't know Him like I know Him. They don't know Him like I came again to know Him last night. But He is my shepherd. Listen to me, folks. Everything has a different look to it when you call it your own. You don't care a bit probably as much about that little baby that just went out as I do, but that's my Callie. Now, you might love her, but you don't love her like I love her. And anybody raise their hand against her, folks, you might see a side of me you've never seen before. As a matter of fact, I might even see a side of me I didn't see before. But it's because that's my child. That's my baby. That's my family. You know, that's the way we ought to feel about the family of God. When the enemy attacks, when the wolves come in and try to devour, there ought to be something that rises up inside of me and says, you know what, this is my family. Hallelujah. And when you start looking at it like that, it changes the way you treat it. It changes the way you act about it. It changes the way you talk about it. It changes even the way you allow anybody else to talk about it. When it becomes my church. This is my church. Amen. This is my church. 
You know what's sad? There are people that sat on these pews for a long, long time that you wouldn't, from the depth of your heart, say that a few months ago or a few years ago. But this church walked through some dark places with you and you found that there are people here just like God. They love, they care, they have compassion and they are doing their best. They're struggling like everybody else, but they're doing their best. To make sure that this place is a safe place for people to live. It takes a whole new look to it when you start calling it by that personal pronoun. My church. My pastor. My brother. My sister. You're not going to let somebody run them down. I mean, you're not even going to let somebody run them down. You're going to stop them in their tracks and say, you know what? That don't fly here. Amen. Praise God. This is my church. I feel that way because that's the way the Lord feels about me. He said, you're mine. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to do my best to provide for you. I'm going to take you places you've never been before. I am going to lift you. Praise God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hallelujah. Come on, I preached too long tonight. My goodness, I don't know why I rattled on so long. But Stand with me.